Blog Talk Radio. today. Welcome to the show, my friends. This is the Curvy Melhead Show, and of course, I am your lovely, evil villainess of the night. <laughs> Belasian Quita here, and you know the Curvy Melhead Show, we bring two main things on this program, alternative sounds and multicultural opinions. Let's get into why I talk, because this is something that this is going to be the first and the last time that I'm mentioning this on this program. For some reason, on the Curvy Metalhead Show TV show, which, of course, you can check out at youtube.com slash user slash for some reason, people say that I am misogynistic. And this is also coming from women as well as men, which I find very interesting. And then on top of that, Apparently, some of you who, quote, and unquote, hate my program also say that I am not taking enough time to do research. So I just want to break this down for you. And this is something I wanted to talk about in Riot Talk before we get to some awesome music from our guest, who is Renard Cohen. And I am so excited to have him on because, let me tell you, environmentalism and the protection of our water, not only here in America, but all over the world, is very important. And, of course, he helped to create this amazing film that is called Groundswell Rising. And if you haven't seen it, please make sure you do go and buy a DVD copy. You will not be disappointed. But let me get back to the point at hand, and that is this. First and foremost, I am the least misogynistic person out there. I think I'm one of the very few people, not only here on Blog Talk Radio, but on YouTube, period, that carries, um, you know, that, that care, like, not even care, not carry, but that I care about unisex issues. I care about people of all different sexual orientations. And first and foremost, I'm one of the very few people that even cares about men's health needs and grooming needs. Because just like how women are very pampered and very taken care of in the beauty industry, men are very lacking. And are there men on YouTube who do, you know, beauty reviews and, and like life, uh, I would say life lessons um, that cater to a male audience? Absolutely. But I think it's also important coming from the female perspective as well, because there are a lot of men out here, let's be honest, they look crazy, and they're not taking care of themselves in the way that they should. So that's one reason why I incorporated that into the Curvy Melhead show, is because I want guys to feel that same way. Guys deserve to be pampered, guys deserve to be treated, you know, with respect, just like how women complain about that all the time, you know, the tables have to be fair, okay, and 
I really wanted to get that out of the way because I get tired of people saying that, you know, I'm misogynistic when I care about so many men in my life and I care about so many men out there who are not able, you know, to maintain themselves in the proper way. Um, and I think it's important not only for women, but as well as for men, too, to take care of each other. Like, whatever happened to mentorship? I don't really see that anymore. And that's why all this stuff that's going on in Baltimore is happening. You know why? Because there is a lack of, on both sides, male and, and female, you know, that are t trying to take care of this youth culture. And there are some who are trying. But let me tell you, the resources get cut for these folks. And it's not fair to them either. So don't hate on me when you're lacking in something. Because nine out of ten times when people hate on you is because they're lacking in some degree. And I like to pose this challenge not only here on the Curvy Melhead Show radio program, but on my YouTube channel as well. I challenge these people who disagree with my points of view to make a video response. Come on this radio show, okay, and, and, share, and share your opinions. There's a difference between constructive criticism and just being plain ignorant or just hating on someone who you would not have the balls to do what I do. Okay, the people on YT, the people on Blog Talk Radio that do these radio programs, there is a huge sacrifice that comes with it. We spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, not only in advertising, but making sure that we look correct, you know, our appearance is right, our voice is correct, of course, for radio. And, and there's a lot. And especially too, you know, when you're in the entertainment industry, both men and women, there are a lot of pressure to look a certain way. So what I, just to wrap this up, because I'm not going to waste my time on these haters anymore. This is exactly what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be focusing on two things. The people who actually sacrifice and take the time to listen to this program every Thursday, of course, you can listen here on Blog Talk Radio at five, or pardon me, at five o'clock Central Time, and then the people who give actual constructive criticism. If someone comes to me and says, "Hey, this is how you pronounce something," or "This is how something said," or "Hey, you forgot this," there is a respectable way in doing it. But what I am gonna do is for the people who are being rude, the people who are saying I'm a bitch, the people who are saying, yes, I went there, using unnecessary explicatives, you're not an intellectual person because intellectual people know how to use vocabulary. And even if it is explicative, they know how to say it right. Okay, you can call me a bitch. That's not the first nor the last time in my life that I've been called that. You can call me the N-word, fine. That's just you displaying your ignorance. But what I am going to do is if you come on my channel and you're doing all this offensive nonsense, you will be blocked, okay? But if you come from a constructive point of view, I listen to all opinions. I don't care, religious, backgrounds, whatever. But you're not going to come on my program and be disrespectful because I don't have to you know, listen to points of view. There are a lot of people out there who are very selfish and they're very closed-minded and they don't take the time to listen to different points of view. Look, I'm talking to Renard Cohen today and he's talking about this whole environmentalism and the importance of water and how not only it pertains to children, but to all of us and, and, the, and the political injustice that goes with that issue. Okay, this show is called The Curvy Metalhead Show.
Okay, and the stereotype about my program is that I only talk about entertainment news and I talk about, you know, what's going on in the world of rock and heavy metal. But you know what? I'm more than that. And I want each and every one of you to hear that today. And it, like I said, this is the first and last time I'm addressing this because I don't have to prove anything. This show is representative of all the people out there who are dealing with social injustice. This show represents the people who enjoy entertainment, who enjoy education, who enjoy the interviews. And like I have always said since I started this show, I am so grateful to each and every one of you as my listeners, as well as the guests that come on this show. Because you know what? They don't have to come on this show, but they appreciate what I do. So I'm not going to sit here and complain and be, you know, angry or as much people would say bitchy. I'm not about that. I'm going to take things from a higher level and to the people who want to be negative, continue being negative because the more you share my stuff and say I'm stupid and say I'm bitchy, that's the more relevant you're making me. So I appreciate it. So let's move on from that point. I just wanted to get that off of my chest because I get tired of people belittling my intelligence because I'm currently in grad school for student affairs. And my goal is I really want to get into multicultural education and how to apply that to places like entertainment and how to apply that to social injustice issues. Because even myself growing up, I got screwed over by the educational system. And I want people to know that, you know, you could come from the poorest of the poor area. This is America, baby. And if you take the time to really apply yourself, you can make it. Trust me, I am living proof of that. And I am grateful that I wake up God above, you know, because for me, of course, many of you know I'm Christian. Um, but God above, I'm very grateful that I'm even here to express my voice when so many of women of color out there and men, you know, of color and people of all different nationalities, they don't get to say what they need to say because they get oppressed by by people who are ignorant and don't allow them to have a platform. So you know what? The Curvy Melhead Show is going to be a platform. And you either, you know, you can agree, you can disagree, but still be respectful. And that's how I present things. So let's start off this musical set with our interview, which is coming up in five minutes from now. I am so excited. Here is Renard Cohen with Get On The Line here on the Curvy Melhead Show. Equal labor 
seems like just the common sense to me. And who can pay for that great labor that gets us here, delivers you and me? Get on the line, my dear sister. with you that really um it shaped my life it it really did 
Um, it helped me to really think outside of the box. Um, and I am very grateful to you and your brother for doing that. Well, thank you. Thank you. It was an honor to do those shows. And so I'm very glad to be on to talk about our uh, a film, Groundswell Rising, Protecting Our Children's Air and Water, a film about the resistance to fracking and the success people are having in communities and keeping it out of their communities. So I'd love to tell your viewers, uh, your listeners, about that. Yeah, I let's get started because there's so much there's so many bases to to cover because for me as I was watching the film I could just feel my anger rising. <laughs> um yeah. Because I cannot believe that so many politicians like Dick Cheney and many others have endorsed this and they don't seem to realize the 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 i would say the magnification of, of the consequences of these actions but but what exactly is fracking because i know many of my listeners are like what's that they're not too familiar with that terminology okay well thank you for asking and that's that's the crux of the problem we have here most people still have no idea what it is they see these commercials on tv about that fracking is the bridge fuel to the future and all that stuff. It's it's not true. But here's what it is, very simply. And, by the way, you mentioned Dick Cheney, and all of this came in when Dick Cheney and Bush were in the White House. These were oil guys. And if you remember, there was a secret energy meeting that took place shortly after they got into power. And if you remember, the press was outraged because they would not talk about who was at the meeting and what they discussed. And a few years after that, the Energy uh, Act of 2005 came out, which exempted the oil and gas industries from many of the environmental protections that were put on after Love Canal, which is the the, uh, Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, the Superfund Act, and many other things. And that's commonly referred to as the Halliburton loophole, for those who don't remember. Dick Cheney, before he was vice president, was the CEO of Halliburton, and Halliburton makes a lot of this equipment for fracking. But you asked what fracking was. Here it is very simply. What they do is, well, let me give you a little background. Before fracking, what they used to do to get natural gas is they would drill what was called a vertical well, which is they'd look for pockets or they'd go to where they thought pockets of natural gas was, and they'd poke what was like a big straw down in, they find that pocket, and they would suck it up. Well, what was this developed after they thought those pockets were drying up and the Marcellus Shale was discovered, which is huge uh, amounts of natural gas under the ground, but they're miles down. They're two miles down. So what the fracking does, and the real name of fracking is slick water, hydraulic, high-pressure, Uh, um, of fracturing, uh, which we call fracking. What they do is they run a pipe, uh, you know, a drill drill pipe, two miles down, then they turn and they go horizontally out for another, well, they go down a mile, then they turn and go out for two more miles, okay? Then what they do is they put uh, under high pressure, 
between five and eight million gallons of fresh water, which will never be able to use this water again, and you know the problem we're having with water, laced with up to 500 chemicals. Some of these are carcinogenic. Carcinogenic, some of them are very toxic. Uh, what they have to do is put a slickener in the water. If you can imagine to push water down a mile and then out two more miles, it has to be very slick, and these are very toxic toxic substances. So they put this water and these chemicals down into this hole. And then what they do is they detonate small charges. The the pipe is perforated. And so they have along these uh, pipes charges, which have create very small earthquakes, little explosions, which crack the rock open and one of the other things they put down is called silica sand. Now, this is a very fine sand, and what happens is the sand keeps the cracks open, and then when they suck it all back up, and by the way, all of it doesn't come back up. About 50% comes up, 50% of the water and the chemicals and all the crap. They don't know where it goes. It goes down into the earth. But what does come up along with this water, which is a cocktail of all these chemicals and the natural gas, are radium, radioactive materials, all kinds of stuff that should not be coming up into our atmosphere. So they suck all that up. And then what they have to do is they have to separate the gas from the water, and part of that is flaring. And so they, they flare some of this gas, this methane, off into the atmosphere. Uh, so then they're left with this very toxic liquid, and they, they the processing plants really can't process it. So what they do is they send it to places like Arkansas and Ohio, and they shove it down these things called inje- injection wells, which now have been scientifically proven to cause earthquakes. These places that never had earthquakes now are having earthquakes, and when they make them stop bringing this fracking material, the earthquakes stop. So that's kind of a, a nutshell in it. Uh, there's a lot of problems with it. The methane itself, much of it is released into the atmosphere, not only from the flaring, but the piping that's taking place. And by the way, lots of this uh, natural gas, which is methane, is being piped to the port so it can be shipped out overseas because it's worth a lot more there. And all along the way, it leaks. And the concern there is methane is a much more dangerous gas than carbon dioxide for global warming. I've heard that it's like 200 times more potent as a greenhouse gas enforcer, they call it. So there's real problems with it. Uh, so sorry for going on and on, but yeah, I've been I've been working on this film for over almost just about five years. And you get kind of saturated with it, but it's very important. It's a very important thing uh, for the folks listening in California. I want to let everybody know there's going to be a uh, California theatrical premiere of the film May 15th through the 21st at the Lumley Music Hall Theater in Beverly Hills. And uh, you can get information on that by going to our website, groundswellrising.com, and going to the screenings page. And the uh, the theater itself, uh, it's uh, 
lumley.com and that's l-a-e-m-m-l-e dot com slash theaters slash the number four and their phone number is 310-478-3836. So this is going to be uh, great screenings with panels uh, with some of the leaders in the anti-fracking movement. This is very serious. Uh, this is the film is called Groundswell Rising, Protecting Our Children's Air and Water. And this is no joke. Uh, the effects of global warming are being seen, and the effects of fracking on global warming are real and demonstrable. No, I, so I really appreciate it. <laughs> I know I I really appreciate that explanation um, because I think a lot of times and and that was something that really resonated with me when I was watching the film was that someone mentioned that uh, drinking water should not be a political issue. My one of my one of the things I wonder and, and this has always been something I've I find fascinating with with politicians who like politicians in general who. Um, are involved with this issue, uh, what do they have to gain from this? I mean, from your from your viewpoint, like what are they gaining from, honestly, what I like to call the period is human suffering that's being done in this country? Well, unfortunately, the folks that we put in power, that we send to Washington, that we send to the state houses, and and even local governments, and let me come back to local governments because that's where you can really make a difference. Uh, those folks, as you know, as soon as they get into power, they have to start campaigning to stay in power. They have to raise money. And a group called Common Cause, and by the way, it's mentioned in our film, did a study called Deep Pockets, Deep Drilling, where they outlined that these politicians get millions of dollars in campaign contributions from the industry to continue to allow uh, what some people might call the rape of our land, uh, to continue to allow them to do practices that do not really keep the health and security and quality of life of their citizens as the main point. In other words, the bottom line should not be what can make money for the industries, uh, the bottom line should be what is going to allow us to continue to live on this planet. Uh, they sold these programs with the promise of jobs, uh, with the promise of cheap energy, and it, it, there have been studies done now, and jobs have not materialized. These crews who are expert at doing this kind of thing, they travel from area to area, the jobs that the local people can get are truck driving jobs. And uh, sometimes, you know, like you see in the film, going in and cleaning out the toxic materials, there aren't good protections. So there are class action suits now going on by the people who are the workers who have been uh, injured and are suffering from being exposed to these very toxic chemicals. Uh, the communities do not improve their economy on this fracking coming, and they're left worse off when they leave. Uh, so, you know, it's been going on long enough to know that this is not a very beneficial thing. And I mentioned local communities. You see in our film, and by the way, you can get a copy of the film at groundswellrising.com, and also you can uh, organize a screening in your community 
by going to our, uh, our, our distributor, which is called Bullfrog Films, so bullfrogfilms.com. Anyway, in the film, you see that people wanting to keep this out of their communities. And another thing you see in the film is that the, the companies are very insensitive. They will put these fracking installations, which are really very, uh, these are real industrial, it's like a factory. They'll put it right across the street from your home, from a nursing home. They are fracking on college grounds. Uh, they have no compunction to just put this right down in your face. And so people are being effective in circulating petitions, in going to their local town councils, in organizing to say, we don't want this in our community. And that's one of the main things you see in the film. It's very important that people understand that they can make a difference in keeping it. We want to keep it out of the whole country uh, and the world. By the way, the country of France, fracking, I believe England has as well, but there are French companies here fracking us. So it's it's a very, uh, once you start learning about it, it's a very, lots of levels to it, lots to understand. But I, I, I ask everybody listening to learn more about it. It's our responsibility to understand what's going on. Uh, and we can change. We can understand, but it's going to take a groundswell of understanding and real knowledge to understand why people are opposing this. It, the people who are opposing it are not tree huggers and Luddites and people against, uh, you know, business. And, and they're trying to protect our communities, and it's important that we all do that. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting, especially um, what's going on in Weld County. Uh, what made you decide? Because I saw that, that there was a very heavy emphasis focus um, on that particular particular uh, county. Is that just due to that's where the most of this process is happening? Well, for those of us who didn't see the film, Weld County is in Colorado, and we heard when we started working on the film, we we put out a, a short video called Heavy Traffic, which shows the incredible traffic, truck traffic that happens when fracking comes to your town. And I believe somebody in, Calif in Colorado saw that little clip on YouTube and contacted us, and it was a woman from a group called Erie Rising. And this was a group of moms who were being inundated by fracking taking place, like I said, right next to their schools, right next to their homes. Their kids were getting sick, uh, and they said, you know, if you'd like to come out and film and see what's going on, please do. And we contacted them, and we went out, and we found out that there are 19,000 wells right in this small little area in called Well County in Colorado. Uh, we met uh, uh, a guy whose name is going to escape me right now, but there's a group called Fractivist.com, uh, which is is at the forefront of documenting what's going on there. And one of the reasons that fracking is so ubiquitous there is that the governor uh, of Colorado, uh, Hickenbush, I think his name is, he's, okay. we have a little clip of him in the film, very supportive of fracking because they are getting huge amounts of money from the industry. And so one of the ladies in the film say they snuck in. 
Nobody was asked. All of a sudden, we have all this industry on our doorstep. And like I said, the industry has been given a pass in the Halliburton loophole uh, from all these environmental laws which would have protected us. And so now they're surrounded, and it's very difficult to keep them out. And so that's why we started in Colorado, in Weld County, and it's striking. You have to admit, it's striking to see not only in Colorado, in Pennsylvania, uh, in Florida, in Texas, all over, what's, what's come about. Actually, we have a caller, which is great. Um, let me put them on. Hello, caller. How are you? I'm very good. I'm I'm really enjoying uh, your interview here. I'm a singer-songwriter myself. Um, I'm a gay father of two uh, with a background in music, and what I actually do is go around the country performing uh, pro-gay family material in order to promote an alternative uh, to the classic nuclear family, and I'd love to share uh, quickly some of my work with you on the air. Well, right now we're in the middle of an interview. Um, if definitely, I will give you my email um, information. Um, if you're, if you're talking pertaining to the topic that we're talking about right now, um, that would be great to hear your opinion on it. Um, but if you would like to do a sure. separate interview, I can well, give you my contact information. Absolutely. It'll just take two seconds. Here we go. I. Sorry about that. So, <laughs> that, well, that's that was okay. A... <laughs> and, and, and and you know, I am also a singer songwriter, and I have <laughs> written and rec- written and recorded the theme song, which is the end plays at the end of the film. And if anybody'd like to hear that song, they can go to my website, RenardCohen.com, and I'm just put out a CD to support the film called I See a Groundswell. With that with that song on it, Groundswell Rising, and nine others. So, caller, thanks for calling, and I'm sure you'll have the opportunity to share your music, and uh, I appreciate what you're doing in trying to get the word out about fairness and equality, and I I support that with you. Thank you so much for that. I really respect you um, for that. But let's get back to the topic at hand here. I I think the other thing, too, that was really shocking to me was the fact, oh, we have another caller here. Let's see, we're getting a lot of calls here today, so. Great. Hi. So many days. That guy is persistent. <laughs> he is persistent. Okay. Very persistent. I apologize for that. But what I find really interesting also is the sim I was very floored by um some of the symptoms that were included in the film included um vomiting, um shortness of breath, um skin related um symptoms. Uh has there been any research just from your from your knowledge of these symptoms that have kind of spread um throughout particular um areas that have just cuz I know this is from you know, a couple, it could be from a couple of weeks to a couple of years um, from what I've read about the effects of of those vapors going into the environment. Right. Well, first of all, let me say that I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert. Uh, what I did, my goal in the film was to bring the voices 
of those who are experts and who are very involved in this, along with the people who are personally getting sick. As you saw in the film, there are, and there is now a class action suit. You saw there's one guy in the film who's covered with welts and having all these problems. He is part of a class action suit of workers who are have been injured in this industry. Um, but what you see in the film is there are a couple of doctors from a group called Physicians for Social Responsibility, and they talk in the film about the people who have come forward from these fracking areas who are suffering nausea, vomiting, nosebleeds, skin rashes, all kinds of things. Uh, now, remember, the air that is being released in these fracking areas are filled with toxic chemicals. So how could you not have an effect? Uh, not only that is, in the film we talk about benzene being released. Benzene, there's a neonatologist in the film who talks about benzene uh, being a, a gas that can cause leukemia. So there are people, there are pregnant women, there are children, there are people living very close to these heavily industrial zones. Not surprising that people are reporting problems. Also in the film, there's a woman named Raina Ripple who is in charge of a study that is being done, and not only a study, but an outreach to help people from these fracking areas. This is in Pennsylvania, to help not only record their stories, but to get them some aid. So this is real stuff that's going on. Another thing you've got to keep in mind is sometimes you say, well, how come people aren't coming forward? How come we don't hear about this? The reason is, is that the industry pays people to be quiet, okay? They, they, they pay them money and they say, if you speak about this, you'll, you'll have a lot of trouble if you take this money. So sign this contract. And this includes people whose water have gone bad, who have gotten sick, who would have brought a lawsuit, but the industry comes and says, well, pay your money to be quiet. And that's partly why you don't hear about this. But people are speaking out, and they speak out in our film. So I think that's a very good thing. Yeah, I, I agree as well, because, I mean, after watching it now, you know, I'm more inclined to, you know, learn more about these type of issues. And I think what's so interesting too is how people like make these films and and bring that awareness. So for let's say for someone who is a film student or maybe someone who really wants to um convey an important issue um in their community, what is the what do you feel is the proper process? Because I this is a very controversial topic to some and it's not easy to get budgeting you know, for these type of, of films. So how is that process like uh, for you? All right. Well, first of all, let me tell everybody that they can see a trailer for the film at our website, groundswellrising.com. Uh, they can also buy a copy. They can see screenings. They can keep in touch. And to your question about making a film like this, okay, our film was very underfunded, okay? Most of it was volunteer work. Uh, the, the folks who worked on the film, I shot a lot of it myself. There were, there's a guy named Dave Walzak who uh, is an activist. He also shot some of it. We had some uh, footage donated to us by some other filmmaking folks. So 
the bottom line is when you want to get involved in a documentary, don't expect to make any money. Most documentaries don't make any money. It has to be a passion. It has to be a labor of love. You have to be, it's almost like a calling. And it it's, has been for us. We felt that this needed, and to tell you the truth, I grabbed the camera. I was invited to a teach-in about this thing called fracking. I, You know, we've been in the business of making television shows and films for many years, so we knew how to make a film. But somebody invited me to a teach-in at a local library. I went there. They showed a film by a woman named Dr. Theo Coburn, and I highly uh, recommend that people see this film. This is a film called What You Need to Know About Natural Gas Drilling. And it was about... She's a, she, she just recently died, but it, it's about the physical effects, about the toxic uh, character of these chemicals, about what happens in the air and the water, and I was blown away. And I, I said, how come I've never heard about this? And also at this teaching were two women who were helping communities to organize to keep fracking out. And I had a camera with me, and I started. I just started filming And these women impressed me to the point where I said, this is what I want to do. I want to make a film about the people who are working so hard to get the word out and to organize communities, and it grew from there. So the money, we have a nonprofit called the Resolution Media Fund. We did get a few small donations. We did get a few small grants, but mostly it was done – volunteer, maybe someday if we, if some HBO or somebody wants to run the film, which would be great, and they want to pay us for it, then maybe we'll get some money from it. But there was no money from it. But we didn't expect money from this. And, you know, those film students there who are listening, get a camera. Uh, Actually, in this day and age, there are editing systems, there are Freeware, there are all kinds of stuff. You can start doing it. You can start working on something. You can put it up on YouTube. You can develop your own website. Uh, there's things called Indiegogo, uh, which is crowdfunding, where you can put your idea up and have people donate money to your idea, your film, what you want to do. Uh, Indiegogo is one. There's an, a bigger one, which name escapes me right now. Uh, if you just Google crowdfunding platforms, they'll come up. So there's ways you can develop the money to start doing what you want to do. And just do it. Just film. Just interview people. Sometimes it's not easy. and Sometimes it takes a little guts. Uh, but if you're passionate about your idea, I believe that it will, it will be the light of day if you keep Keep working on it, and I applaud you for doing it. Uh, many times, students, there are organizations in your city that make editing rooms available, that make equipment available. Uh, so if you work through the universities, if you work through the film societies, you can get some help in doing what you want to do. Don't expect to make a lot of money. It to cost you some money, uh, but... Don't let that stop you. If you're passionate about what you want to do and you have an idea and you feel like the medium of film 
and documentary films are a great medium for opening people's hearts and minds to things they may never have considered. Uh, in our film, we have commercials from the industry, and when those are in there, so we can show people how their side is being portrayed, and it gives us a chance to talk about the real story that's going on. Unfortunately, people only get a chance sometimes to see those highly produced, very happy-go-lucky, yes-this-is-the-answer commercials. But through mediums like documentaries, we can tell the other side of the story. And that brings in another point. People sometimes say to me, how come you didn't interview anybody from the industry? Okay. The reason that I didn't, and we do have commercials there from the industry, so they get their point. They can talk about we see what their side is. The reason that I didn't is because the people who we focus on in the film have no money. They're not being paid. They're not uh, backed up by huge amounts of money from any industry. You don't hear what they have to say unless somebody like a filmmaker like myself is willing to bring out what they have to say. So maybe we tip the balance a hair with our film up against the industry that has really millions and millions and millions of dollars to get their point across. So that's what documentary filmmakers have the opportunity to do. It's not going to make money doing it, but if it's a calling and a passion, go for it. No, I, I agree. And, and I tell you, Renard, I, like I said at the beginning, um, you and your brother and so many people you know, that do this, that bring these stories are the reason why I do this show. That's the reason why I got interested in media itself um, was because I wanted to do that same thing, you know, was to bring these type of stories. And, and I definitely um, need to have you back on. And if you do another documentary, if you do a sequel to this, that would be absolutely uh, wonderful. But no, I always appreciate people who take that time to talk to other people because anybody can talk to a, you know, a corporation or get a PR, a PR response. I mean, anybody can do that. Um, but I think it takes a real human being to talk about human issues instead of just taking the the main road, because that that's what I feel is going on with our society is that more people want to take, you know, look at the corporation, then look at everybody else when, Sometimes the solution, um, especially to this issue, is seeing the damage that's being done. And the only way you can really get that honest answer is through the people who are suffering um, due to this issue. Well, that's very true. And I also would like to remind you and everybody else that there's there's a time in element involved here. Uh, some of the scientists that we interviewed for the film uh, spoke about the fact that we we don't have a whole lot of time to try to reverse the effects of climate change that are happening. Uh, we need to start making changes now, or one of these guys, Dr. Bob Haworth in the film, talks about that within the next 25 or 30 years, we may be seeing in, uh, climate effects that we won't be able to turn back, okay? And we're seeing them now. We're seeing the polar ice caps melt. We're seeing the the uh, 
uh, the, the sea levels rise. We're seeing more severe storms and earthquakes, and the earth is reacting to what is happening. There's a, very, there's a lot to it, um, and we don't have a lot of time. We need to wake up, uh, and, and I think we can. You know, people say sometimes, well, what can we do? What can we, how, we, how can we change? And I remind people that it was only a few short years ago that we were surrounded by cigarette smoke. If you remember, you couldn't get on a bus, you couldn't get on a plane, you couldn't go to a bar or a movie without sitting in that cloud of smoke. Well, somehow our society came to its senses, and we realized even though the advertisements were telling us there's no relation between cigarette smoke and things like cancer, even though, and by the way, the advertising agency called Hill and Nolan, I believe, who was hired by the cigarette companies to give us that message, is the same company that the oil companies have hired to give us a message that fracking, there's no relation between fracking and natural gas and global warming. But uh, I lost my train of thought. It's a, <laughs> oh, a oh, multi-layered issue. <laughs> yes, no, the time frame. We don't have a lot of time. We have to make these changes now. And I always say, I, I, in our film, there's a guy named Dr. Dr. Mark Jacobson, who is a Stanford University professor, who did a study for a Scientific American in 2009, and he was asked to project, could we really power the Earth completely with renewables? And him and a colleague did a study and said, yes, we could. It is possible. We have enough wind and water power and solar to do it. It's just going to take the social will and political will to do it. And I, I would like to see some politicians give us kind of like what John Kennedy did in the 60s when he said we're going to put a man on the moon in 10 years and do what we need to do to do it. I would like to see somebody say we're going to switch to renewables in 10 years or whatever it's going to be, and we're going to do whatever we need to do to make that happen. Eventually, we're going to have to have that kind of resolve unless it gets too late, and then we'll, we are playing catch-up. If you remember, the Kyoto Treaty was passed by many of the nations of the world, and the Kyoto Treaty was a treaty that said we're going to take global warming seriously, we're going to start to limit our emissions, do what we have to do, that was about 20 years ago, and the United States did not. So we're behind. There's great advancement going on in all these renewables in the United States, but Germany and other countries are way out ahead of us in this. And so if we're not careful, we're going to be playing catch-up for many years. So there's a lot to think about. Uh, the politicians need to get on the stick here, and they're only going to do it when people their voters, their constituency demanded of them. And that's going to take a groundswell, which is why we made the film. <laughs> yes, exactly. Renard, thank you so much for coming on. And and I definitely um, will have you on once again, um, because like I mentioned before, um, what you're doing is so, you know, groundbreaking. And, and I, I have my utmost respect, uh, uh, for you. So thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Send me an address and I'll send you a copy of the CD Groundswell Rising. Uh, 
uh, I see a ground cell, so you can hear the music. Maybe we can talk about that sometime. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Remember, groundswellrising.com, the website, the uh, theatrical premiere in L.A., May 15th to the 21st. Uh, come out if you can and and learn more about this. It's important. We need to do it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you, and have a great weekend. You too. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. And you heard from one of my heroes. I know it's so cliche, but that was Renard Cohen. And please make sure, go to groundswellrising.com. You can also find out more about the film on the Groundswell Rising Twitter, which is at Groundswell Rising. So I'll have all the links at my blog, which is at curvymetal.wordpress.com. And I apologize for that really awkward. <laughs> that was a really awkward call. Um, that's probably one of the funniest things I've ever had happen on this program. And knowing knowing me and knowing my audience, it's going to get kookier than the Adams family. But that's usually how it goes. Let's get back into the tune, shall we? This is a great band hailing from one of my favorite cities, Seattle. Here is Colossal Boss with Long Way Down.
I drop that bitch when I met that brick. Let her blow 60 on the gram, break it down. Goddamn, go ahead, watch that shit flip. Pretty girl, what you looking at? She fat ass ripped on that boat. I need to see clap back. I place it right with my lap back. If you want basil, after you hit it, take a bath with me. Get it from the back, lift my ass for me. Gotta put in work like a factory. I need three rounds on track for me. Up top, all crop, no weed, though. Down low, straight ball, no chemo. Be sick on the D like a bow, right? And everybody want a piece of the key line. Only fucking with a nigga with a bankroll. He good, game tight like Kegel. Squeeze in like he put it in the A-hole. Don't want no short, it's keenish. Broke niggas always tryna free low. Tow truck, cause his car got rainbow. Only fucking with a nigga with a bankroll. Clap, clap, niggas out and see now.
funkadelic rock music like that. That was my crew hailing from Australia. That was the Poly Devons. I think the Poly Devlins, pardon me, with Can't Give You Love. Yeah, they're phenomenal. Please make sure, check out their official website. I wish they had a Twitter, though. That would be amazing. At thepolydevlins.com. Really good vintage 60s rock, man. But it's so it's so postmodern, too. Like I really enjoy music like that. But that was just my back-to-back of women who rock, because that's one area of, I swear, of rock and metal that I've constantly neglected is women in the industry. But you know what time it is. It's time for part one of The Alternative Beatdown, where I tell you what's going on in of course, the multicultural world of rock, metal, and everything in between. Apparently, this is according to MetalInjection.net. Corey Taylor has lending vocals to Tech Nine's track. Corey Taylor is a busy man as of late. He has a huge, like I can talk today, a huge Slipknot tour coming up. And he's putting out a new book and doing a brief acoustic solo tour. But somewhere between writing the new Slipknot album and his new book, Taylor found the time to lend some of his vocals to a new track from rapper Tech 9 And honestly, it's it's really interesting how some metalheads will say that hip-hop is not relevant to metal, but they've had a beautiful relationship for, it seems like, forever. And metalheads constantly acknowledge Tech Nine, even though to me, you know, Tech Nine is is very he he's like you can't really put him in a category. He's got that like horrorcore going on. He's got the industrial look sometimes going on. We hip hop too, so I think it's gonna be interesting to see how Corey Taylor's vocals are on this track. So I haven't had a chance to listen to it. It's called Wither. And yeah, it'll be interesting. It's off of Tech Nine's album called Special Effects. And for those of you who are not familiar with Tech Nine, I mean this guy is the reason why independent hip hop can be done. He's one actually he's the most successful independent hip hop artist. Uh period. Sorry, I'm just all like weird today, right? I think it was from the horrible singing from earlier. And to transition into that, Corey Taylor, of course, is writing um, his new book. So the Capitol Press announces a July 7th, 2015 release date or June 11th for the UK. And the name of his book is called You're Making Me Hate You, a cancerous, it's like a cantankerous look. Hopefully I totally butchered that, right? At the common misconceptions that humans have any common sense left. And this is the third book by Slipknot and, of course, Stone Sour's lead singer, Corey Taylor. Uh, So the new book follows Taylor's New York Times bestsellers, The Seven Deadly Sins, which is his memoir exploring the worldview of his life as a sinner. And then A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Heaven, which is his unexpected look on the supernatural encounters that he has had. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I... Anytime metal artists write a book, it's like a hit or miss for me. I I tend to like the stories where it's just really compelling, you know, and it's really like balls busting, like Dave Mustaine's uh, autobiography, for example. Like he he really spills the tea and he lets you know 
what's going on. But I don't know. The humans have any common sense. I mean, this is a ridiculously long title, but hey, to each its own. We'll see how it goes. I mean, Slipknot, are they great? Yeah, I enjoy Slipknot's albums. But I think now it's just being overdone with, like, book after book after book. It's like, okay, we get it. Here's another story coming from MetalInjection.net. And the other story um, came from Metal News. Um, But Dave Mustaine, he's making coin, okay? A fan actually paid Dave Mustaine 5K. For a two-hour writing song session. So you know how a few weeks ago Megadeth launched a Pledge Music crowdfunding page, which is essentially a pre-order page for their 15th studio record, which is currently being recorded. And you know we said one of the perks of being sold is a two-hour writing session with Dave Mustaine for $5,000. Well, Megadeth announced last night that one super family took them up to this off. And this is Dave Mustaine's tweet. It says, I want to congratulate who is going to be songwriting with me, courtesy Pledge Music. Uh, So there is a video for that, which is kind of interesting. But honestly, this person has to be super rich to me to spend $5,000. I Hey, Dave Mustaine is indefinitely the godfather of thrash metal Give props where props is due, but $5,000, I had better get a billboard charting hit if I'm going to pay, <laughs> if I'm going to pay that, but that's just me. Um, So yeah, it'll be really interesting. Hopefully they release the song um that they're writing, but uh, yeah, that that's going to be really, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, definitely. But let's get back into the music here. Here's another group. They're probably the blackest people I know. Here's Hall and Oaks for I Can't Go For That for our Be Kind Rewind where we go back to the classics. And this one definitely hits home.
want no baby girl to fuck I just want bitches on top of this I just don't want to go sucking though oh, 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 oh. I don't know about it, Calling All Hearts, 
that was a complete flop to me. It seems to me like anytime Keisha Cole's angry, that's when she makes good music. When she's not in a relationship, to me, that's when she makes a lot of good music. But that's just me. Let's get back into this part two of the alternative beatdown. A lot of good stories are coming from MetalInjection.net. But this band has the craziest name ever. It's Perpubator. Perpubator. Next release might be the most non-metal album of 2015. So, Perp2 a one-man project of James Kent, has been dropping killer records over the past few years and even has done a soundtrack for games like Hotline Miami. I'm not saying that the guy is trying to intentionally make metal electronica music, but sometimes it just feels a little alike a little more than a coincidence. And then there is a track called Assault. Um, but yeah, electronica metal has been a new trend um, that I'm seeing. But I'm also seeing a lot of homage um, to 80s hair metal bands. Um, there's been so many 80s hair metal, not only the bands themselves, but like tributes all over Wisconsin. Um, shout outs to the Metal Grill because they do from time to time. They have a lot of those like 80s hair metal cover bands and original bands as well um, that do that. And yeah, it's just interesting to me. Like it really kind of is like a mind trip for people of what is metal, you know? And to me, I feel like metal is a, it's a, I wouldn't say it's a lifestyle. I, I would say it's kind of like, a state of mind because most of most of the metal artists that I've interviewed I've noticed that commonality that it's it's really a state of mind it's it's putting your all into everything um and now you could apply that to other genres as well but metal has a very unique sound um and the fan base I have to say is pretty crazy as well um I get a lot of backlash if I don't say the right thing about a band which is so lame um, so that's the reason why I think, honestly, I've been taking a little bit of break from a metal community is because I've been getting heavily harassed by the metal community. It's like, come on, it's not that serious, people. Like, get a life or something. This is coming from CNN. This is a question everybody's had on their mind. Who is the world's sexiest woman? And you know what? I'm so glad it's not Beyonce. It's not Kim Kardashian. It's not Nicki Minaj. This woman I had never even heard of. Apparently, British actress Michelle Keegan was named the world's sexiest woman by FHM magazine this year. English actress Michelle Keegan has been named the sexiest woman in the world by British men's magazine FHM. The 27-year-old actress is best known for her roles in the BBC series Ordinary Lies and the long-running British soap opera called Coordination Street. And apparently her character, which is Tina, is like Tina, like Mick, like M. Try or Mick M. Tree. Horrible pronunciations today, pardon me. Um, was the show's first character to act as a surrogate. And this is according to IMBD. So... After her comes, of course, Kendall Jenner, who is ugly to me. I don't get what the big deal is. And after her, I can see it, Oscar award-winning actress, but the ever-so-honest Jennifer Lawrence. She's very beautiful. I'll give her that. And the list trickled down to cover girl Kate Upton and British television host Caroline Flack, 
who dated the One Direction's um, Harry Styles for a couple months. But it's like, who cares what these who these people date? Um, but yeah, Michelle Keegan. The thing I like about her though is she's not that like flawless beauty because no one can be a hundred and ten percent sexy. That's just me. You can find flaws in everybody. You know, I know that sounds evil, but it's the honest truth. Um, but the thing I like about her is that she doesn't have, like, I wouldn't say she has flaws, but I will say that she is a natural beauty. And there is this trend in Hollywood now I'm noticing that people are stepping away from the surgical table and they are actually appreciating, appreciating the age process. So good for you, Michelle. You look fine. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, but I noticed, too, like, Everybody likes a mirror, and she kind of looks like her, too. She's at, the exoticism is just all over the place. It is absolutely absurd. Ugh, I tell you. Let's move on to the world of technology. This is coming from usatoday.com. eBay apparently is becoming more diverse. It's about dang time. So eBay's efforts to diversify its workforce has improved the company's gender and ethnic makeup by 1%. Woo, for 1%. Ha-ha, <laughs> making progress. The, the online marketplace global employee roster remains largely white, 60% down from 61% um, last summer, and male 57 to 58. Now, that 1% was reported in July of 2014. Similarity, uh, sim similarly, uh, women in leadership positions grew a point to 29%, although the number of women in tech and non-tech remains still at 24% and 49%, respectively. Okay, here's my two cents on it. First off, you want women in technology, stop making the environment misogynistic. I mean, that, that's just an FYI. Um, I don't blame sometimes when women are in a, a working environment where it's predominantly male, and then you got 50% of the guys that actually support you being there, and then you got this still this majority of guys that are super misogynistic, and they want to keep this a balls environment. Let's I'm just let's put it on the table here, okay? So I think the only way it can be diversified is if it's incorporated in the educational system early, okay? We, I mean, I've seen that, like, kids young as, like, the boys in particular, between, like, I would say four to almost, like, eight years old, they're being taught to be, you know, you got to play with the trucks, you got to, you know, hang out with your father and, you know, work on the car or, or whatever it may be. You know, the guys are still getting that technological advantage where they're still in certain cultures and even in certain parts of the world, women are still being taught the in what I like to call traditionalist roles, such as being a homemaker, or some women voluntarily make that choice to be a stay-at-home mom. Now, here's my thing. You can be a stay-at-home mom, and you can still be progressive. You can be a stay-at-home mom and work from home. You can be a stay-at-home mom and still have a part-time job, because let's be honest here. You know, unless you're married to a millionaire or someone who's really well off, you pop up all these kids guess what? You're, you're, you still have a responsibility to make sure your kids are being raised properly. And also, I blame the education, certain educational systems because they still lean for boys. And also, even certain colleges, they still lean 
towards a male demographic. And then women who are trying to get into these roles, they get labeled as trying to be masculine when that's not the case at all. So we'll see how eBay changes things. This is another interesting story coming from thewired.com. Of course, everybody knows Hygio Kojima, um, famous, famous producer of the Metal Gear series. I mean, everybody knows him, you know, for being the groundbreaking director of the series. Um, Metal Gear Solid um, for the PS1 is still one of my favorite, but I love Kojima. I think he um, really changed how people viewed games. But what I find really interesting, and this is from Wired, is that he, Kojima pretty much decided to separate from Konami. He's been with Konami like forever. So what ended up happening is that he decided to um, split in August, which I think is really kind of is interesting. He's still going to work on Metal Gear Solid Five, so you know, don't worry about that. Um, but I just think that it's ending this period of, you know, Japan being the dominant group of video game designers. And I think what's really interesting, too, is with the Metal Gear Solid movie, um, I can't wait till that comes out. It's going to be fantastic. Um, but it's really showing that Japan, although Japan still has, to me personally, a huge influence in how people view video games, because let's be honest here, when you think of Japan, you think of not only the culture and the history, but you think of anime, you think of, you know, Metal Gear, you think of Ninja Gaiden, you think of um, the Final Fantasy series. Um, but, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see because now he has Kojima um, Productions. Um, so it, it's going to be really interesting. Um, and because of this separation, um, Konami now has been renamed to Konami Los Angeles. Uh, so I, I just think that it's time, you know, to have that separation. Um, because I think when you work for a corporation that n sometimes you have to listen to what they say. Um, and then of course there's, there's this hierarchy when you can be your own boss and what is really doing, especially in the video game community. And that's just, this is my personal opinion it's starting this kind of um, revival of independent corporations. And a lot of these independent companies are <laughs> giving companies like Nintendo, Konami, you know, Square Enix a run for their money now. Because what they're realizing is that there are fan bases for independent gaming. And now companies like Nintendo, companies like Steam, for example... Um, they're using the indie market because there is profit to be made in this market. So it'll be interesting to see what Kojima does um, separate from Konami. But I, I do agree with Wired, you know, mentioning that, you know, the era of Japan's all-powerful video game designs, designers are over. And my final article is one from Huffington Post Women. And this is an article called Feminism should not be controversial. And I wholeheartedly um, agree with this because I, I, I've gotten a lot of heat. I've just been getting a lot of heat up the colon, let me tell you. And it is not coming from indigestion or diarrhea, okay? Uh, what's going on is, for some reason, women, there's a battle amongst women and men right now about feminism. I see this especially 
on YT. Um, I did a video about Anita Sarkeesian and her series about tropes of how women are viewed in video games. And the misogynistic male train went chugga chugga choo choo on her. And I made my video partially agreeing with her. Do I agree with everything that Anita Sarkeesian you know, agrees with? No, I think that women should still have sexual, you know, liberation and how they express themselves. But I think that you should be able to have self-respect for yourself. So like when people come up to you and say that you're a slut, you should be able to defend yourself. But I think what ends up happening is there's also this peer pressure culture. And I see this, especially with the younger women, that they dress that way just to be cool with their friends. And that some of these girls just dress that way because that's what is expected. And I also blame some of these men out here who perpetualize that because they're part of the fashion industry or, you know, they're part of this, this, um, I would say this bro culture that's going on where women are treated like objects. So this was just a really interesting um, article, and I'll read this to you briefly. I have a daughter that's—I have a daughter who's 14 months old. I have a son who is five years old. I want my son to follow his dreams. I want my daughter to follow her dreams. I want my son to do well in school. I want my daughter to do well in school. I want my son to believe he can be the next president of the United States. I want my daughter to believe that she can be the next president of the United States. I want my son to make the most money possible in his career. I want my daughter to make the most money possible in her career. I want my son to fight for what he believes on. I want my daughter to fight what she believes in. And it just goes on and and it really kind of embodies what true feminism is about. And I think that this is interesting because this is, this is a unique form of feminism coming from a man. And I think a lot of times, you know, women we call, the, the ones that we call ourselves, including myself, a feminist, is a fine line because there are still misogynistic men out there that just make things difficult about creating feminism as being a a balance between the, you know, the genders. And that's what true feminism is about. Feminism is not male bashing, and I know this may come, you know, my commentary may come along today as being male bashing, but what I'm coming from is a place of my experiences of what I've gone through. The bro culture has really affected me, has affected a lot of my friends, it has affected us to the point where we feel that we don't, we can't deserve, like we don't deserve to have anybody decent and it's hard, and it, it it crushes your self-esteem sometimes, and that's something that we all struggle with, you know, but I want the guys out there, the ones that are being misogynistic and not the guys that are, you know, being awesome, and they also identify with being feminist, which I commend them for highly, is this, like, I just feel feminism is controversial. Anything is controversial when you make it controversial. That's just the bottom line. Um, I think it'll get to a point that feminism won't be controversial because people understand what feminism is. Feminism is not male bashing. Feminism is not to say that every man is misogynistic. But the problem is the majority makes the minority sometimes. And there are some guys that are misogynistic, and then when you look at a guy, especially coming, this is coming from the female lens, you know, you're like, whoa, that guy's probably misogynistic too. And it's horrible because it is a a form of like, of of giving prejudice, you know, or judging somebody. 
Um, but it's hard being a woman in this society. It, it really, really is. So I'm really glad he wrote that article. So before I head out here and finish playing the wonderful tunes that you enjoy, it's time for my food for thought where I just I speak my heart out to you on things that have really resonated with me. So today, while we're talking to Renard, um, he brought up a really interesting point about bringing awareness to issues through filmmaking. And I think what's so interesting about that is that it's easy. Okay, films don't have to be Hollywood blockbusters. It doesn't have to be The Terminator. It doesn't have to be Fifty Shades of Grey. I think true filmmaking embodies a message that needs to be addressed that often doesn't get addressed, you know, and there are many films, you know, that talk about that. A classic film that I just love is Paris is Burning, where it talks about the houses way back in the 80s, you know, in New York and and drag queens in the LGBT community and, um, well, LGBTQI, I just say alphabet soup community and, and how, you know, and how tough it was, you know, and also what kind of resonated with me too was I wanted to flip that into the rock and metal community. I think it would be phenomenal to have a documentary about women in the metal community, not as singers, not as like, not overall as, as instrumentalists, but per, the personalities, people like myself, people like uh shout outs to full metal Jackie. I mean, if it was not for, you know, women like her, um, I wouldn't be here if it was not for women like Octavia Butler, who is one of the most prominent African-American sci-fi writers. And she was writing in a time where it was absurd for any person of color to write about sci-fi. You know, when people saw sci-fi, they thought of white people, you know. And that's why I really admired people like also like Gene Roddenberry, um, for creating Star Trek and showing this diversity. But the if the people who are true Trekkies and Trekkers will understand that Star Trek is, to me personally, Gene Roddenberry was thinking ahead of his time. And he created, you know, films and, and a TV show that was a reflection of some of the things that happen in our society. So let's tie that back into what Renard Cohen was saying about protecting the groundwater, the groundwater issue. That's not only affecting children, but it's affecting us all. The things that we think that are minuscule that we see in films or the things that are topics in general that we think are minuscule are things that we should be focusing on. Sometimes the minor issue becomes the major issue. Sometimes that major issue that, that pe like, for example, people care so much about what Kim Kardashian has to say. You know, people care so much about these celebs. And we put these celebs on, like, a godlike pedestal. But at the end of the day, there are people in our communities that are suffering, you know, with the issue in Baltimore and how, you know, everyone's just kind of trying to magnify black, you know, people in general, the black community as just being crazy and we're just a bunch of like vigilantes. But that's not the case at all. Sometimes when you see young black youth in particular wilding out is because there's not a platform within that social economic system, okay, for their voices to be heard. So to the people in Baltimore, to the people, you know, down south period, 
you know, to every single person of color and to the to people who are not even people of color, who support people of color. Use media as a way of conveying these messages that are not being brought to the forefront. Do not use violence. Do not, you know, loot and act a fool because you know why? Those are the things that our communities are stereotyped for. That's what the Latino community stereotype for. That's what the African American, Asian, you know, even the Native Native American community. Shout out to the indigenous tribes um, in Alaska and all over the world um, that that are dealing with issues like abuse and alcoholism. And these stories are not being told. And it was great because I was reading an article, and there was a uh, indigenous tribe that actually made a video game to kind of reinforce the legacy of what was going on with their people and and the stories. And it's such a wonderful thing. So to conclude here, use media when you want to talk about social injustice. Do not use violence because guess what? That's how we take many steps back. And sometimes, you know, violence will happen, you know, that the wars and things like that have happened throughout history. And sometimes, yeah, the wars were necessary to make change, but there's a flip side to that. You know, when you have a war, there's a loss, not only of resources, but the loss of human lives. And I think it's just really important to document that. And and it's like the technology is so easy now. You can take your iPhone and make a movie. Look, Lana Del Rey, made ultra violence off of an iPhone and just and had good people to edit, you know, the video for her. So use the medium to make change. Don't allow the medium to create stereotypes about you. Please just really think about that. So this is one of my favorite bands and one thing here at the Kirby Melhead show that I like to do is present bands that are rock and metal but have been given different types of sounds. And one band that I really enjoy is Stone Sour. Um, Stone Sour is great. Okay, Corey Taylor, of course, you know from Slipknot and Stone Sour. He has a great voice. Like, it's orgasmic, I tell you. Um, but, of course, you can follow me on Twitter, which is at Curvy Metal. I have a Pinterest now, thanks to over 200 people following it. I really appreciate it, which is at Pinterest.com slash curvy metal i have a fan page which is at facebook.com slash curvy metal uh, i also have uh, my main facebook page which is at facebook.com slash belasian and of course curvy metalhead show tv program which is at youtube.com slash user slash belasian and here is stone sours looking through the glass and this is the zakir mix which is fantastic. Thanks so much for watching. I love each and every one of you. And remember to stay classy and don't be trashy. Thank you.
Oh uh-huh. 